0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. I have a few cute things I could say at the top of this podcast, which I'm sure would amuse you thanks to my sophisticated sense of humor, but... The Kurtz file is very heavy today. I've got so much, uh, so many news stories, controversies, interesting bits of gossip uh, to share with you that I want to dive right in. I don't know how many of you saw, or maybe you saw the clip of Saturday Night Live's cold open over the weekend, but it was really lame. But it was beyond lame and unfunny. It made... Elise Stefanik, who was really the lead questioner, Republican Congresswoman from New York, into the bad guy. She was so crazed and just interested in promoting herself while the three university presidents who were testifying about anti-Semitism at their schools, you know, they didn't look good, but it was very mild humor. So New York Post reports that Cecily Strong backed out of playing Elise Stefanik because she was uncomfortable with the sketch. And and this happened at the very last minute. You know, the sketch was um, rushed, and this would have been uh, Cecily Strong's first time back on SNL after she left, following 11 seasons. But she just said, I can't do this. And they had a newcomer um, taking her place. Who did a good acting job? But this isn't about Elise Stefanik. I'll come back to this. Uh, The website Futurism, which exposed how Sports Illustrated was publishing articles by non-existent writers who hired a firm that used AI to make up these bylines and fake profile pictures. So there was a lot of media criticism of this, including from yours truly. And the week after the story ran, Futurism Reports, the Sports Illustrated publisher sacked two top executives, Oh, saying this had nothing to do with the AI story. You know, let me just stop and say, it was Sports Illustrated's handling of this that was so tone deaf. We didn't do anything wrong. This is fine. It's all the uh, fault of the company that we hired. We're cutting ties with them. Uh, And, you know, we didn't know, and uh, it's not our fault. Now, the board of directors has terminated... The CEO, Ross Levinson, uh, a guy who um, has had a lot of top executive jobs, effective immediately wrote the company's senior VP to the staff. Ross Levinson will be leaving the company. This follows the recent departure of three senior executives last week. So the temporary CEO put out a memo lecturing the staff to stop doing dumb stuff. He also outlawed PowerPoint presentations. I don't know. I'm not a fan of PowerPoint presentations, but I could see where they might be useful in business occasionally. In any event, there was a staff revolt. People worked there extremely upset this much smaller staff than it used to have about this AI stuff. Meanwhile, Abby Lowell, the lawyer for Hunter Biden, who had already put out a very tough statement, uh, responding to criticism about his client's willingness to show up and answer questions at the House Oversight Committee, but in public. And the panel saying, no, we asked you for behind-the-closed-doors deposition, and that's what we're going to insist on. It was supposed to have been this week. So Abby Lowell went on Morning Joe, and he said basically the same things that he said in the statement, but on TV. He said, what has really changed between the one and a half page misdemeanor charge that was originally brought in the case and ended up, the, you know, the plea bargain collapsed and the 56 page nine count indictment. Um, in the last five years, says the president's son's lawyer. Republicans in Congress yelled crazy when the Democrats, who were in the majority, sought to go after former President Trump by attacking President Trump's children. And they yelled and screamed about it. And now the hypocrisy is extraordinary that they use the same tactic that they thought was outrageous to go after Hunter Biden. who's never been anything but a private citizen, never served in government, and never was in a family business. Well, that last point, I suppose, is disputable. That should stop. What changed other than Republican political pressure? And then he repeated this line saying that because his last name is Biden, because of his proximity to his dad, who has been a supportive father to his son through all the best and worst parts of Hunter's life, that's what makes us different. Okay, but because, you know, this comes from an email. Hunter said, I know it's because my last name is Biden I'm getting this overseas business. It's because his last name in Biden, however, that he was able to, you know, get these jobs with Burisma in Ukraine and money from China. He had no particular expertise in any of this. He was trading on his name. So I'd be low going public with that. Um, one story getting a lot of attention, and then we'll dive into the top five. The uh, pregnant woman who lost a case at the Texas Supreme Court appealing a lower court order that would have allowed her to have an abortion. Her name is Kate Cox. She learned that her fetus had a fatal condition and after several trips to the emergency room. So the state AG, Ken Paxton, who was impeached but acquitted, appealed to the state's highest court Um, the Center for Reproductive Rights, excuse me, which uh, is representing Kate Cox, said Kate desperately wanted to get care where she lives and recover at home surrounded by family. While Kate has the ability to leave the state, most people do not. A situation like this could be a death sentence. So she is now going to another state. It hasn't been identified, but obviously a state uh, where abortion is allowed rather than outlawed. To get the procedure that her home state is blocking her from getting. Story number one Jack Smith has filed an appeal in the Trump case directly to the Supreme Court. Now, this is a claim by the former president that he has immunity from prosecution because he was POTUS. I don't know how that would play out for everything he did after he left office on January 20th, 2001. But he's saying he can't be prosecuted on any of it. Now, the judge in this D.C. case, Tanya Chutkin, ruled against him. And so Trump naturally filed with the appeals court to overturn the judge's ruling. Now, that could take months, And Jack Smith's view is, I got to get this case to trial and fast. Huge political implications, which we'll get to in a second. So he tries to short circuit the process. He says in the filing, the United States recognizes that this is an extraordinary request. This is an extraordinary case. No duh. Um, And it's all about the scheduling. So just to take a step back for a minute. First of all, Smith correctly figures that this is going to wind up with SCOTUS anyway. So let's go right there. Let's circumvent the appellate court. Well, the Trump campaign comes out with a statement saying that deranged Jack Smith is uh, willing to try for a Hail Mary by racing to the Supreme Court. There's absolutely no reason to rush this sham to trial except to injure President Trump and tens of millions of his supporters. What's going on here, you probably have figured out, is that Jack Smith wants to do everything possible to get an expedited decision so that his case, the January 6th case, can go to trial on the scheduled date in early March, which just happens to be one day before Super Tuesday, right in the thick of the primaries. Donald Trump is trying to do everything he can to delay this case and other cases until after the election. Because then, he figures, got a really good shot at getting back in the Oval Office, and then I just direct my Justice Department to drop everything. And none of these cases, at least not the two federal cases, I should say, because he wouldn't have any jurisdiction over the New York and uh, Georgia cases. So it's like this tug of war. And yes, of course, Smith wants to get this done before the election. Now, the Trump spin is he's a madman and a left-wing lunatic and just wants to convict Trump. And by the way, a conviction of Trump in this January 6th case is not assured. I mean, all it only takes is one juror to upend it. And yes, it'll be a DC jury. Had Smith chosen to go with the classified documents case, that is widely viewed by legal analysts and by me as being the much tighter uh, evidence-laden case where he probably would get a conviction. But then he's going to deal with a certain Florida judge. Anyway, uh, so this is the back and forth that's going on. One team wants to score. The other team is playing prevent defense. And Smith argued, you know, of other cases that the uh, high court has taken on an expedited basis, including President Biden's attempt to forgive student loan debts. Now, look, the court, just because the court took the case doesn't mean Smith will wind up victorious. And this goes beyond the fact that it's a 6-3 conservative majority and a third of those are Trump appointees. Because as the Washington Post points out, Um, he hasn't had the greatest luck lately with SCOTUS. So for example, the justices turned aside requests from Trump and his supporters to get involved in challenges to the twenty twenty election results. The High Court ruled against his claims that the presidency protected him from investigation. And last year, the court refusing Trump's request to block the release of some of his records to the House January 6th committee and denied his efforts to block uh, committee from examining his tax returns. So this is hardly a slam dunk for the Trump side. The force of the principle, says Smith, is that a grand jury has accused a former president of committing federal crimes to subvert the peaceful transfer of power to his lawfully elected successor. You know, the court, the Supreme Court, that is, could just say, you know what, uh, this isn't ripe for substantive ruling by us, so we're sending it back to the appellate court. The court doesn't like to decide things until, it, especially like huge controversial issues, until it absolutely has to. But this is really about a power struggle to control the timing. And in Trump's mind, he just has to file enough appeals and gum up the works to the point where he could get these federal cases just thrown out, just ask his hand-picked attorney general to do it if he wins the White House. Oh, in the campaign statement, deranged Jack Smith is described as crooked Joe Biden's henchman. Well, he was appointed by Merrick Garland. Now, in Trump-related news, this has to do with the uh, Sean Hannity town hall with the former president. You're not going to be a dictator, are you? Trump said, referring to Hannity. No, 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 other than day one. Then he repeated it. Then he went on to talk about drilling, 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 and closing the border. So now... Trump says he was just joking. He had, let's see now. This was last Tuesday. So he waits an entire week. This is classic Trump. He throws this out knowing the media will go crazy. He leaves it at best ambiguous. And then after it's sort of dominated the news cycle for days, he comes out and says, oh, never mind. I was just kidding around. And a New York Times story on this quoted Republican Senator Kevin Kramer as saying, suggesting that he was joking. This is part of his appeal, that authenticity. So here's Trump today on his uh, social media site, slamming the New York Times and Chief White House Correspondent Peter Baker yesterday. For what he claimed was inaccurate reporting over his recent, quote, dictator comments. Uh, Let me just stop right there. Peter Baker is one of the best journalists in the country. And he is dogged, and he tries to hold Trump to account. But he is, after all, a White House correspondent. And I just think he's known for his fairness. I went back and looked at that story. It's not an unfair story. Fake news writer Peter, quote, Obama, Baker. I mean, it's just so unfair of the failing New York Times, readership and subscriptions way down from the good old Trump years, whose claim to fame is that he will never write anything good about the great job president Trump did, just wrote in a major front page story that I want to be a dictator. But doesn't mention it was said in a joking manner and completed with, but only for a day because I'm going to close the border, drill, drill, drill. Much different attitude and meaning. Look, you can criticize the story. I don't know why you have to personalize it. And I don't think the Peter Baker story was unfair. Uh, Washington Post, before this happened, had a piece saying, but autocracy scholars and constitutional law experts raised alarms that Trump had thought carefully about how to consolidate the levers of power should he return to office in ways that eluded him the last time. This is part of a pattern for Trump, who's made several statements he could use extra constitutional powers to enact his agenda. Last year, he called on his social network, True Social, for terminating all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. But scholars say that even without violating the letter of the law, Trump would simply have access to broad powers granted to him as chief of the executive branch. He does not need to become a dictator to subvert democracy, they say. He can simply use the tools of democracy to do so. Now, let me stop right there. Let's say instead of Donald Trump, we were talking about Joe Biden. He doesn't have to subvert democracy. He can use the tools of democracy to do so. So basically this story says, you know, Trump is going to do everything possible and could do that, you know, to get his agenda through, an agenda the paper obviously disagrees with, and to do that He can just sort of stretch the executive powers. Now, if it's President Biden, what about the fact that he's gone ahead unilaterally using his, quote, executive authority to offer all these student loans to declare them null and void for certain categories of people? which could save them billions and billions of dollars. Look, they took out these loans. They thought they'd have to repay them. Joe Biden says they, do, they don't, even after Congress refused to go along and the high court refused to go along. What president doesn't use every power at his disposal, and then some, to try to, Accomplish what he wants to accomplish. It's just with Trump. And look, Trump has said things. Vermin and other things and dictator ha ha ha. That just sort of adds fuel to the fire here. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news, twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story two. The president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, will remain in her role. She is clinging on to her job. When the university's top governing board this morning voiced its support of her after days of backlash, calls for her removal, after her disastrous testimony at that hearing one week ago on anti-Semitism on college campuses. In this tumultuous and difficult time, we unanimously stand in support of President Gay, the Harvard board said. Keep in mind, the very next day, after refusing to take a position on whether anti-Semitism and essentially this whole business about genocide against the Jews, certainly that is Hamas's goal and reason for existence. The next day she apologized. She said she was taking it back. In fact, she said such calls are vile. They have no place at Harvard. And those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account except she didn't hold anybody to account with all the mealy mouth talk at that hearing about context and it depends and got to consider free speech here. You know, arguments that don't seem to apply with other racial and ethnic groups. Now, Elizabeth McGill, Elizabeth McGill was pushed out, resigned before she was fired, basically. As the president of the University of Pennsylvania, she gave similar Testimony. What did they think was going to happen with all this coverage and the harsh spotlight on them? Both prepping for days with the same blue chip law firm. If they just kept ducking and dodging the questions, it was a disastrous performance. And now going back to this SNL making Republican Elise Stefanik the, the issue here, the goat. Might I remind you that in Pennsylvania two Democrats, Governor Josh Shapiro and Senator John Fetterman, ripped McGill's answers. as unacceptable. wanting her to step down. A big-time uh, pen donor pulled a $100 million gift. Even the White House spokesman, Andrew Bates, said that McGill, apologizing for her remarks at the hearing, was the right thing to do and that Joe Biden wants moral clarity on the issue. So, Gay was helped out by the fact that, I guess it's now more than 700 Harvard faculty members signed a letter saying she should be retained. She is the first black president of Harvard. She's been there a while. She has a lot of alliances. No wonder the faculty would back her. And yet... Look, this is pure power politics, and the reason... That Cloydine Gay is able to stay in that job really just exposes how uber liberal and out of touch Harvard and Penn and many of these liberal campuses across the country have become tone deaf. And she was retained despite the fact that the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, hiring experts to review, says that Claudine Gay plagiarized numerous academics over the course of her career, at times airlifting entire paragraphs and claiming them as her own work, according to reviews by several scholars uh, consulted by the website. 29 potential cases of plagiarism. Most of them said Gay had violated a core principle of academic integrity, as well as Harvard's own anti plagiarism policies, would state that it's not enough to change a few words here and there. She even did this in her 1997 dissertation, Taking Charge Black Electoral Success and the Redefinition of American Politics, which copied two paragraphs almost verbatim. So the Harvard board could have said, Well, you know, we don't want to get into the anti Semitism thing, but Uh, were firing her for plagiarism. She hasn't written that many academic articles, never published a book of her own original thoughts, but the board decided to ignore that. Number three. Politico says House Republicans are inches away. It's a game of inches, like football, from a major step toward impeaching Joe Biden. As members from swing districts drop their reservations about plowing forward with the GOP investigation. So Politico does a whip count, meaning it called up a bunch of members and tried to find out how they're going to vote. Usually whip counts are done by whips, who are members of Congress. Um, Found that one Republican, Ken Buck, is opposing the vote scheduled for this week, perhaps tomorrow, by the way, to formalize the impeachment inquiry. Remember, Speaker Mike Johnson went ahead on his own without getting the approval of the House. That kind of undercut the moral authority of it. But here he is now trying to get the approval. But there were a lot of members who thought this would make them look bad, complicate their reelection efforts, and so forth and so on. But other more members uh, thought to be on the fence are now either supportive or likely to support it. Including a majority of Republicans who represent districts Biden carried in 2020. But GOP leaders uh, have only a three-vote margin for error, and some of their swing swing district members are still uneasy about supporting this. So I'm telling them, political, they're undecided. So some moderate Republicans argue that a lack of cooperation from Hunter Biden and other family members has forced the GOP's hand. Um, Is it a lack of cooperation when the president's son says, he will show up and answer all the committee's questions as long as it's done for an American audience in front of TV cameras. Number four Israel warning yesterday that these uh, skirmishes along the Lebanese border could not continue. So Hamas also operates in Lebanon, obviously, and Lebanon has launched a bunch of rockets. Not an all-out assault, but plenty of rockets at Israel. Benny Gantz, member of the Israeli War Cabinet, former military chief of staff, told uh, Tony Blinken that the attacks by Hezbollah, the Hezbollah militia from Lebanon, required a response. So this is Israel warning. Be careful. This could go out of control. Then you have a two-front war. Well, really, a three-front war since... Iran is behind a lot of this. Meanwhile, infectious diseases uh, are ravaging people of the Gaza Strip, according to the World Health Organization. New York Times noted that more people are fleeing to overcrowded shelters in the South where dire conditions and a scarcity of food and clean water have set off a public health crisis. I mean, I hate reading this. I know people will pin this on Israel. It's certainly debatable. But Israel is trying to dismantle Hamas, which of course uses its own Palestinian people as human shields. But nevertheless, Israeli military also saying it's opening a second security checkpoint to screen humanitarian aid from Egypt and allowing more food, water, medical supplies and shelter equipment into Gaza. Um... So you have, according to doctors in Gaza, saying illnesses as common as a cold can pose grave risks to Palestinians, especially children, older adults, and the immunocompromised. Though the collapse of Gaza's health system has made it challenging to track exact numbers, the WHO says at least 369,000 cases of infectious diseases since the war began. Ah, using data collected from the Gaza Health Ministry and the UN. Okay, I just have to tell you that the Gaza Health Ministry is run by Hamas. So the numbers are unreliable, but that doesn't mean this isn't happening. It obviously is happening. We've all seen the pictures. It's the level which is happening. Uh, A 46-year-old mother of 10 says, we're all sick. All of my kids have a high fever and a stomach virus. She went to a camp housing displaced Palestinians. She and her children have had high fevers, suffered from persistent diarrhea and vomiting. This is all because the water we're drinking and the tent we live in, she said. (sighs) Difficult to read, difficult to watch. Um... Israel will say, of course, it is simply trying to root out more Hamas leaders and retaliate against the territory that started this war with unspeakable atrocities against the Israelis, including kidnapping civilians, elderly people, babies. It didn't matter. Killing people in those age groups uh, as well pose absolutely no threat to the Gaza Strip. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, let's wrap things up here with number five. Novak Djokovic was on 60 Minutes the other night. Big platform for uh, the guy I consider to be the world's best tennis player. And I have to stop there and say, at the Serbian star. I love watching him play because he always digs himself out of holes. He'll lose the first set or the first two sets and come back to win. Incredible perseverance, discipline. But I've hated what he has done on vaccines. So it was last year, early last year, when he was deported from Australia, remember that? Because of his vaccination status. Uh, Australian officials canceled his visa, making him unable to compete in the Australian Open. He was originally given an exemption, but public pressure, let's face it, forced officials to change their minds. He couldn't, wasn't allowed to compete in the U.S. Open either in 2022. He did compete this year. The vaccination situation had changed. And he won the U.S. Open. So Djokovic is telling 60 Minutes that his refusal to get vaccinated made him a villain. Here are the quotes. I was basically declared as a villain of the world, Djokovic said. I had basically most of the world against me. I had that kind of experience on the tennis court with crowds, maybe not cheering me on, but I never had this particular experience before in my life. And why is he going on 60 Minutes? What he's saying is he's not against the vaccine. He just doesn't want to get it himself. Quote, people try to declare me as anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. No, I'm pro-vax. I'm pro-freedom to choose. And he has made his choice. Um, Whatever reasons Djokovic may have. Look, He also was not candid at first about not getting the vaccine. I didn't like that either. But you got to say, like, he gave up a lot. He gave up chances to win world tournaments, Australia, New York, knowing full well that this would cost him as a tennis champion And the chance to pass all the the greats with the most Grand Slam wins. He still could do that. But he made his decision. And now he's offered his thoughts on 60 Minutes. So I got to give him credit for sticking to his principles. I just think he blew the whole thing. And now you know what he thinks. And you certainly know what I think after all this time. So uh, thanks for sharing this time with me. Uh, We've been at this for a bit, so it's time for me to say goodbye. See you tomorrow with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.